The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. On this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour, we're welcoming Dr. Bill Lampton of Championship Communication. The story starts on a kind of personal level. I was driving down the road, I was listening to FM radio, and I heard this program I had never heard before called Communication Corner. And I was very enamored with what you were saying. It made me think about how important communication is. Communication is something it affects all of us. And not only are we going to get a chance to learn about Bill Lampton, but this interview might help you in your communication goals. Maybe you don't know that you need communication goals, but I think communication is something that we can always work on, we can always improve upon. So, Dr. Lampton, thank you very much for joining us. Great to be with you, Paul, and thank you for remembering that we got introduced via radio. I was working at the time with WBCX, Bernal University radio station. You did some work there as well. It's interesting to me that you talk about the importance of communication, and it brings me back to what is my favorite quotation regarding communication, where Daniel Webster, one of America's greatest orators and statesmen, said this. He said, if I were to lose all of my possessions except one, I would keep the power of communication, for by it, I would soon regain all of the rest. That's pretty powerful. Absolutely. A lot of your life is dedicated to communication. What is it like being Bill Lampton? (laughs) Well, I guess I would say, first of all, that I enjoy what I do. I've been in different professions. They were communication-related. I taught communication at the University of Georgia after receiving my PhD in communication from Ohio University. And then, Paul, as I tell people, I wondered if all of this communication theory I was teaching really worked. So I put it to the ultimate test. I became a professional fundraiser for colleges, universities, and then healthcare. I did that for two decades. And then at that time, my wife said to me, The children are gone. You're free now to do what you'd like to do. We've paid those college tuitions. Why don't you do what you've always wanted to do? Because part-time, I directed seminars. I had taught. I had written articles. I had done some radio and a tiny bit of television. So with her encouragement, I launched out on my own. That was in 1997. And since then, it, uh, it's been very challenging but interesting to be an entrepreneur, and I've been able to explore all kinds of communication. And if you told me 20 years ago that I would be producing videos <laughs> or that I would uh, have been on radio shows, hosted them, but those things develop. And unfortunately for me, as has been the case with you, I'm sure I had some wonderful coaches, mentors people who helped me get over the hurdles that all of us face when we're trying to learn something new. Hmm. Well, one of the programs that I remember, you were talking about your experience as a stage actor. And I'm hoping you can tell us how that 
molded and how that maybe helped you as a communicator? Sure. That was at Millsaps College, a small college in Jackson, Mississippi. I grew up in South Mississippi, as did my wife. I attended Millsaps College, and I had not done any high school theater. But I found out that theater was very popular there, as were the Millsaps singers. The arts were quite popular. So I tried out for a play, and fortunately, the very first one I tried out for, I had a wonderful part. It was the play The Mad Woman of Shio. It was a comedy. And then eventually, I had a bit part in Hamlet. I had one of the leads in um, uh, The Rainmaker. And then and ultimately, in community theater, I had one of the four leads in a wonderful comedy called Any Wednesday. What I discovered from theater, which I think anybody can benefit from, is that you communicate as you well know, both with your voice and your message and with your your personal presence as well. You and I hear plenty about the impact of nonverbal communication. And you and I and many people have seen movies where possibly there wasn't that much in the way of um, dialogue, but right. the, the message got across very strongly anyway. I'll have to say to wind that up very quickly, is that when I then turned my attention to giving speeches, I found out that, and this may surprise many people, I think giving speeches is easier because Mm. you're not having to depend on anybody else. Mm. One of the plays that I was in, one of the actors, and he was a veteran college actor, he forgot his lines. (laughs) And it threw all of us off, and we had to improvise and finally get back to a point where he could remember something. I've never had to depend on anybody else when, when I'm up there speaking. It's up to me. So I think in some ways, I find that that I loved the experience on the stage and would probably do it again. Mm-hmm. I still think that in the speaking situation, you are in total control, far better or worse. Right. How important is body language? It's extremely important. And I think one of the illustrations I would give there is, let's suppose that you and I had met at a social setting, uh, some type of reception or a business after hours or something like that. And let's say that you and I happened to see each other in a coffee shop a few days later. Right. And I went up and I gave a big grin and I said, Paul, USOB, it's good to see you again. (laughs) Well, you would know from my body language, the fact that I was chuckling, the fact that I patted you on the back... But what if I'd sent you that in an email? Right. <laughs> you would have Good thought, point. he's insulting me. How can he call me that? And so, so many times people make a mistake by trying to send important messages by email or now text mm-hmm. or letter or memo. And we forget that writing, a message in writing can be so much harsher because you don't have the person's facial expression. You don't have their chuckle. You don't have their tone of voice. So nonverbal communication plays an extremely important 
part in the message that gets across. What about eye contact? Eye contact is is very vital. If uh, we don't have eye contact with somebody, they're wondering. It, it, it goes back to long ago. People were saying Richard Nixon was shifty eyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if, if you're, haven't you, Paul, been sometimes maybe at some social gathering where somebody you're in conversation with them, and you can tell they're looking over their shoulder to find somebody else to talk with. Yes, absolutely. And that destroys it, doesn't it? It can, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So eye contact is is uh, a way of conveying, I really want to be in touch with you. Absolutely. How did you start to realize, because communication is something we do all the time, we might take it for granted, but how did you realize that this was something that you found interesting, worth learning about, and worth teaching about? I would go back again to my college experience. Like a lot of college freshmen, I was required to take a speech class. How many of you <laughs> were required to take a speech class? And I never, of course, guessed that I would be teaching a captive audience myself like that many years later at University of Georgia. But in that speech class, Paul, what fascinated me was if a student researched a topic, if they really believed in what they were saying, and they gave a convincing, persuasive presentation. It was amazing to me that the 20 or 25 people in the class, in 10 minutes, they could have their opinions changed. Yeah. And if it had long-range effect, it could even change their behavior. At the same time, I was a history major. I noticed that all of the major movements had some type of great communicator at the head of it. We've just lost Billy Graham. We know what a, what a following he had because of his communication skills. I, uh, on, on the opposite side of the ethical part of it, Hitler, of course, uh, right. ruled Europe and almost ruled the world because of his communication skills. So seeing what happened in a small classroom and then looking at the total world picture. And we could even go back to Mahatma Gandhi, who was not known as a speaker, but he had the the nonviolent resistance that Martin Luther King Jr. put into action in the civil rights movement. So interesting. Something you just said made me think that you were talking about the late Billy Graham. And there was a very interesting article that... I saw recently where the singer-songwriter Bob Dylan was being asked who influenced him. Mm-hmm. And he said a couple of musicians, but then he said, Billy Graham would have been a, a great influence on me. So that makes me wonder, do you think that artists, singers, songwriters, actors, do you think that they would do wise to study something that we think of as a science, communication? Yes, I do. And, and for example, I've been to concerts where a, a person with great vocal skills, a singer, would be there before the audience. And in, in many ways, they were communicating with the audience. But they didn't have the ability to stop and, and chit-chat and maybe have some 
some light comments with the audience. I, I know several years back here in Atlanta, maybe this is 15 or more years back, Linda Ronstadt was here singing. And some friends of mine attended that, and they said that in her performance, she did nothing, absolutely nothing, except come out and do song number one, song number two, song number three. She never thanked the audience for being there. She never said, is this a favorite song of yours? Does this song bring back memories for you? Where were you the first time you heard this song? Nothing at all to relate. So, yes, no matter how skilled you are musically, and I know music is a, is a strong fascination of yours, sure. a music, a musical performer also needs to be able to speak to an audience. Absolutely. As we mentioned at the beginning of the interview, you've done a lot of radio interviews, maybe over 100. And then now, of course, the new format of, of this time is podcasting. What has the experience of doing those interviews taught you about what makes for a good communicator? You mean as a guest or as a host? Good point. Maybe a little of both. Okay. Well, to, to me, the guest needs to be someone who recognizes that you don't have to go in there and be anybody other than who you are. Hmm. As you know, there are people who become a guest on radio or television who think all of a sudden they've got to get a broadcast voice. Right. <laughs> and, and they go in there and they've, they've are not aware of the fact, which you are with your long experience in the media, that you don't have to amplify. In fact, it's the reverse. If you amplify too much, it distorts the sound because the equipment is set for conversational tone. So that's one thing that makes you a good guest. Another one is, I've been a guest on programs where I would ask the host permission ahead of time, would you like for me to send you some sample questions? Oh. Many of them are so busy, they would love for you to do that. So that's another point. And then one other item I would say about a guest, and I've been guilty of this myself, and I hope I'm not today, but keep your answers uh, short and to the point and relevant, because it's quite easy if you're enthused, you forget that on radio or television, three minutes is a long time. So keep the answers brief. What, what would you add, Paul, for being a guest? For being a guest, don't be afraid to be yourself mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you're almost always more interesting than maybe you give your credit, yourself credit for. Mm -hmm. I would say that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as far as the host is concerned, I think the host definitely needs to have prepared, just as the guest needs to be prepared. I remember one time, and I won't identify the station or the person, but I remember one time I was going to be interviewed on a radio show, and it was, say, 10 a.m. It was set for at one minute to 10, the host comes into the parking lot, screeching in in his car, runs into the <laughs> studio, sits down with me and one other guest, and with 30 seconds to go, looks at us and says, by the way, what was our topic today? <laughs> and, oh, boy. And so that's a killer right there. And the, the, uh, the host, one more thing, I think, needs to be very welcoming and personal 
personable and informal and, again, not have to sound like a broadcaster. In both cases, the guest and the host should have a a warm, lively, well-informed conversation. Absolutely. I would agree there. Something you mentioned that is thought of as something from the past, and that is sending a letter, the mail, but you can really stand out in that way. What do you think about communication through the mail? To me, the the one thing we all want to do in our communication is to stand out. That's why a lot of people learn video or why people do podcasting. You do both. So we want to do something a little different than other people are doing. Okay, it's gotten to the point, really, where a letter, a personal letter, is a rather rare thing. And ironically, just yesterday, I said to my wife, you know, I need to get some personal stationery so I can send handwritten thank yous to people. And then I looked on my bookshelf and I realized I have that. I just haven't been using it. Not long ago, I was with a friend, a professional friend, and I didn't expect it. But a few days later, he wrote me a nice handwritten thank you note. And it reminded me that... These days, if you want to be unique, do that. It doesn't matter what your handwriting is like. You don't have to say the two or three sentences, but you'll stand out and people will appreciate that warmth, the personal touch. Even though a letter does make you stand out in this time, what would be a way that maybe someone who's watching or listening could stand out even more? Okay, As Richard Nixon would say, I'm glad you asked that question. (laughs) I learned a while back, and I I tell this to people I'm coaching, coaching, and I tell this to audiences and seminars I'm directing, that all of us in business, how we follow up with a prospect that we've just visited with, that's very significant. Now, many people will use the what I'd call the standard, the old-fashioned way, maybe a formal business letter. Somebody else might send a postcard, although that's quite rare these days. Someone else might send a text. Many people would send an email, and maybe there are those bold enough to do a follow-up phone call. Here's what I learned, which I highly recommend. I recommend that you learn how to produce your own videos. Paul, when I go to see a prospective client, the next day I will email them a video thank you. Hmm. And I'm sure nobody else is doing that. And for example, you would get one from me tomorrow saying, hey, Paul, it was really great to have been on your show yesterday. I know that you've hosted many prominent leaders and it was a real privilege for me to be your guest and you did a good job as the host. So why don't you and I have coffee and lunch sometime? But again, I I really want to thank you for that. Now, when you get that, Paul, how much more impact personally and professionally does that have than any of the other follow-up methods I mentioned? A picture is worth a thousand words. A video is worth a million. That's right. Yeah. And the video, the way you and I produce them, luckily you don't have to send it as an attachment justifiably, all of us are afraid of attachments because of viruses. But you send the video a link within your email message. Fascinating. That's 
Free tip. Right there. No charge That's at great. all. What do you hope that your work with communication does for people? I hope it helps them operate more effectively on every level. Because when you learn communication skills, it can boost your, certainly your family life. I know I was, I was teaching a uh, seminar in my home state of Mississippi several years back. And there was an attorney in there. I was talking on, on the subject of listening. And this attorney said, Bill, I have, I have handled more than 500 divorce cases. And in every one of that case, those cases, either one or both parties would say, he doesn't listen to me or she doesn't listen to me. So communication skills are, are imperative for good family relationships. What happens when marriages break up many times? People say, we had irreconcilable differences. Well, guess what? All of us do. <laughs> Some of us just learn we have to work through them. And then in your friendships, are you a, a, a person who's other-centered instead of self-centered? If you're other-centered and thoughtful and call people and take them out to dinner and ask about their family instead of just talking about yours, certainly in the workplace. I was in administration for 20 years, and any of the failures that I had were because of at that time, inadequate communication. And any of the successes I had were because I communicated in an effective way. Who is the best communicator that you have encountered? There are two I would mention. The first one would be my father. I was very blessed because my father never had any of the contemporary communication experts that we would listen to today, such as Stephen Covey or others. Uh, he would not have known their names. This was before his time. But he had a wonderful innate skill. He managed a department store of about 50 employees, and he did this for five decades. Now, what made him superlative as a communicator was his ability to listen to people and to really listen with empathy. Paul, he was known in that small town in Mississippi as an advisor and a friend that so many people would go to, not just with their financial or business problems, but with their personal problems as well. I learned from him that if you have a genuine interest in other people, and you listen to them, not just for their problems, although that's important, but everything that's going on in their everyday life, you'll never have a shortage of friends, and you probably will have great success as well. And then the other person I would mention is someone everybody, I think, would expect uh, a communication expert or communication professional to mention, and that would be Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey, to me, was incredible, not only because of his vocal skills, but the wonderful stories that he told of uh, his little vignettes of everyday America. And when, uh, when Paul Harvey died, I remember hearing that there was a restaurant in a small town someplace that his program would come on at noon and the waiters would quit serving. Huh. 
because they wanted to hear that 15 or 20 minutes of Paul Harvey. And so did the people who were there. He was, he was truly captivating. I had the privilege of hearing him in person once. An amazing guy at age 80. He was given a 10-year contract at $10 million a year, which is more than I think you and I are making. And, yes. And he lived that <laughs> out. He got all 10 years of that $10 million a year contract. I have to agree with you on Paul Harvey. What a communicator. Mm-hmm. What a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And what a presence. I would, advise, uh, I would advise any of our viewers and listeners to read uh, Paul Harvey's autobiography, which came out shortly after his death. I think the name of it logically was The Rest of the Story. Yeah. And to me, one of the most interesting items in there is where he talked about starting out at tiny little radio stations, as many of the big stars had to. He said that one manager came to him one day and said, Paul, we're going to have to fire you from the air and put you in sales. And Paul said, why? And he said, you pause too much. <laughs> so Paul agreed to shorten his pauses, but to kill it, still keep them there. And naturally, that became his worldwide trademark. What do you hope people say about you behind your back when you're not in the room? Oh, that's a, that's a provocative question. I guess if there's any adjective I would like for them to use, it would be that he was authentic. We hear that so much as as a need these days. We, we've been disappointed by so many people in public life who we found out were not authentic. And you and I could name 20 to 30 of them right now. There's a, there's a real thirst and a yearning for someone who, when you see them, they're the same every time. And if you've seen them on a video, or if you've heard them on radio, or if you've read their article, every time they would be the same person. I'll, I'll give you an illustration of that. Cat Cole is familiar to many of us because she started out as a Hooters waitress. She then became the head of Cinnabon at age 32, I believe it was. Now, about four years later, she's head of Focus Brands. I happened to have the privilege of hearing her speak, oh, four or five years ago. Afterwards, I walked up to her and I said, I am a speech coach and I would love it so much if we could have our photo. If I could take a photo of you, would that be okay? And I handed my camera to someone there and they said, well, why don't you get in the photo with her? And she was so gracious about that. And ever since then, we are on Facebook together and we post back and forth. And here she is, one of the most incredible business leaders in the world, not just in America. In person, she's warm, she's caring, she's receptive. And I had at least a 10-minute conversation with her in the last uh, couple of years. She's gotten married. She's a mother. She's a wonderful person. So that, to me, is authentic. What you see and what you hear is what you get. That's a compliment to me, the highest you could give anybody. I'd love that one. What is the best thing about being Bill Lampton? <laughs> oh, I have a, a lot of privileges in life. I have a wonderful, supportive wife. People ask how long we've been married. I don't tell them exactly. I just say, well, 
Adam and Eve attended our wedding. (laughs) And I have two adult daughters, uh, both very successful professionally. One is a pharmacist, one is a speech pathologist, both of them graduated from the University of Georgia, where I taught. My wife had a terrific career as a second grade teacher in the public school system. I told her many times, she taught for over 20 years, I said, you're one of the few people who early in life found your niche, your talent. And now and then, Paul, will walk into a restaurant and some guy about six foot four with two little kids walks up and says, Mrs. Lampton, you taught me in second grade. <laughs> so my family is a, is a great treasure. I also have had opportunities because of my communication career to go places, meet people, do things that would never have happened to me otherwise. I've been the enrichment lecturer on three cruise ships. I've worked with the Ritz-Carlton Cancun. I've worked with top companies such as Gillette, Procter & Gamble, Duracell. So my life has, in the last 20 years, especially in my third profession, has opened up beautifully. I welcome every opportunity to coach people individually, to direct seminars, and then I still get a tremendous bit of satisfaction when I can share my ideas with an audience. So how would you define Bill Lampton? <laughs> Who is Bill Lampton? Well, I think one of your other guests, I think I, when I saw you interview Larry King, he said, a lucky guy. <laughs> yes. So I, I would say that. I, I say that my best decision I made was even before I was born. I chose my parents very well. <laughs> so I, I would define me as a guy who who loves what he's doing. I don't see every once in a while some people will ask me if I want to retire. And I say, well, when they close the lid on me, I'll retire because I love what I do every day. I love learning new avenues about communication. I still have some goals in communication that I have not met and some I even adopted fairly recently. So every day, you know, there are two ways you can wake up when the alarm goes off. One is, oh, God, it's morning. (laughs) And the other one is, good morning, God. Wow. (laughs) So I'm, I'm grateful for every day of life and every day of opportunity to work with great people like you, Paul. Thank you. Well, I always like to end very open ended. We just never know when we're communicating who might be listening or watching. We never know. Sometimes it's surprising. I didn't know you were listening to me on the radio that time. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) So however someone experiences this, again, you have the stage here. What would you say to that person? Mm, I guess a closing thought would be Socrates, many, many years ago, said the self-examined life is not worth living. So I would say examine your life and particularly how you're communicating. Number one, what's your self-talk? Because we cannot communicate effectively with somebody else unless we have first talked positively with ourselves. For example, if on the way over here to have this interview, Paul, if I'd said to myself, this is going to be a bomb, 
I don't know what I'm talking about. How am I going to answer him? I'm really frightened. I would have been defeated and we, we probably would not have gotten going with the interview. So first of all, talk to yourself positively, affirmatively. Be your own best friend. And then secondly, look at every relationship that you have in business, in family, in friendships, and even with strangers, and see how you can be more open and more receptive. Well, Bill, if I ever had a communication question, if I ever needed coaching, whatever, I would have no doubt who I would contact. Thank you very much for sharing with us. Thank you, Paul. It's been a great, great privilege. And thanks to those of you who joined us. Thank you, folks. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time.